Yeah, well, it's great to see you this morning. I made a point not to welcome anybody from Thunder at the 945, but the 1130, I got a feeling you're here. So great, great weekend. Glad to have everybody. I think we've got a new policy on baptisms. Reminds me of a, of a, a road out uh, on the uh, east side of Scottsburg called Double or Nothing. But that looks like the way to do it, though, this weekend. Well, we're so glad you guys are here. An exciting time in the week. Uh, that we have just before Easter, and what a thrill. We want to take a moment and make sure and welcome in, every, welcome in everyone from the Centrum and those that are online. Would you welcome them right now, video venue. Glad to have you guys here. So good to see you. Now, Nathan's got a little bit of a break before Easter, so I get a chance to be with you and uh, continue this series as we talk about pulling weeds. And uh, the weeds within our life, we've talked about several of them, uh, whether it would be resentment, whether it would be comparison, whatever it might be. But the weeds we want to look at this weekend are all about the idea of Jesus and Palm Sunday when he came riding into town uh, humbly on, on a, a, a young donkey and uh, was uh, met with people cutting down palm branches and waving him and putting their coat down so he could go across on that. And just a, a moment of honor. And we, we deal with the topic of entitlement, though, this weekend. Now, entitlement is a pretty tough thing to talk about because on a great level, all of us have a sense of entitlement to things that we think are owed to us on some level. Some of us at different times in our life might be a little bit out of control on that based on some exaggerated feelings that we have. And I want you to know it's not known to any certain generation because I think sometimes millennials among us get a little bit of a bad rap of being a, having a sense of entitlement. I know many seniors and baby boomers who have a great sense of entitlement, so it knows no generation. But when Jesus came into to town in Jerusalem, the week before Passover, what we now would call Easter, there were some major weeds that he needed to pull in the hearts and the lives of a lot of people. So this weekend, we want to try to tie those things together. The whole idea of pulling weeds, letting God take things out of our heart that have no uh, business being there and ones that are they're growing, we don't know how to get rid of. And he did that left and right, beginning from uh, on this Palm Sunday weekend, beginning from the triumphal entry. Now, if you have a Bible and you kind of want to follow along, uh, we'll, we'll be a little here or there, but mostly will be in a place uh, called uh, Luke 19. Before that, there's a passage in Matthew 21. That let me just kind of give you the gist of that. But it, but it begins by understanding there are five different weed patches that Jesus got into to pull the weeds out of people's hearts. Uh, the very first one, uh, I would call the weeds of the religious hitmen. In other words, it was kind of the posse. The Pharisees, religious leaders, had some hitmen out there, and they took care of business, and they tried to take care of Jesus, but they had this great sense of entitlement that they're going to control the crowd, and they're going to take care of everything, but they found out it wasn't really going to happen. In Matthew 21, we hear the story of how Jesus came into town riding humbly on a young donkey, and everybody celebrated Everybody was glad to see him and, and hear him, what he would say, because it was a very big high and holy week that's coming up with Passover. Everybody, I mean, the town's going to be full, much like last night, much like Derby weekend, much like any major holiday in a major city of destination. And here they are in Jerusalem, and the people begin to sing. 
And the people begin to welcome him and shout. And they shout things like, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I heard a song years ago, and it had a neat little kind of in a minor key Jewish feel to it. And it simply was, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. You know, it had a real neat feel. It didn't have a skinny fiddler on a rooftop, nor did it have a middle-aged guy going, if I were a rich man. Had none of that, all right? But it definitely had a feeling of what that song in that moment might have been like. Now, listen to what happens when the hit, man, hit men come upon Jesus. What happens is found in Luke 19, 39 through 40. In the midst of this big parade and celebrating that Jesus is in town and all the, the chants and the singing and the shouting, it says, some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, Rebuke your followers for saying things like this. He replied, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, let me say, tell you what he was saying. He's saying, you need to understand all of creation is welcoming, welcoming me into town. He said, you need to understand that what's going to happen this week, and I'm headed to die for the sins of the world and honor God and allow forgiveness to be opened up for everybody so there'll be no more need for animal sacrifice. My blood will be enough for everybody. So he says, if you want me to hush them, all of creation will join in singing. I heard a song that was written, oh, oh 20, 30 years ago. It's kind of a fun little chorus. It's based on what he said. And it's a little song called, Ain't No Rock Gonna Cry in My Place. Long as I'm alive, I'll glorify his holy name. And then it gets a little crazy on the chorus. Praise his holy, well, you had to be there, okay? But it's a fun song, it's a fun song. One of those campfire numbers, you know, you get all rowdy on. See, Jesus was saying as he pulled these weeds in the, the heart of the hitmen, he said, you gotta understand, I, I, I can't tell them to hush, <laughs> Because I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to tell all of creation. He said, you need to understand something far greater than just a little bit of a crowd getting out of control. And that was their sense of entitlement. They felt they can really keep the popular opinion under control. You and I can't do that. We can't generate it. We can't keep it from happening. And Jesus said the same thing is true for him. Now, there's a second weed patch that he deals with, and the next patch that he gets into is what I would call the religious economic system. And you find out in, in Luke 19, we'll continue in that for a few verses if you're there with me. It, it talks about Jesus going to the temple. Now, before we look at that verse and read it in a second, uh, there's something that happened on the way there that a lot of times we overlook, and I, I just about did there as well. And, and what happened was Jesus, after this triumphal entry into the city, all of a sudden he finds himself coming up here on a hill. And now that he's there, he looks over Jerusalem, and it mentions in the Gospels that what he did was he looked at the city, and it broke his heart. He began to weep. He began to cry. I mean, not just Jesus weeping at the time of, of Lazarus when he had died, and he saw the tears of his sister Mary and Martha, and it says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. This is a whole other time of Jesus weeping in, in, in a deep brokenheartedness. He saw the city that he was going to go into and offer his life for. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I've wanted to gather you to myself just like a mother hen pulls her little chicks in. But you didn't want to have anything to do with me. And he knew that eventually there'd be this, the destruction of Jerusalem. 
He knew there would be no stone that would be a, a left built, built on top of the place would be destroyed in 70 AD. And he wept over them. I want you to know that Jesus looks at our hearts when we are away from him and his heart continues to break. His heart continues to break for those people who don't know him, that aren't convinced about him, that haven't come to an understanding and still have a lot of weeds in their heart for whatever reason. And that's what he's trying to gently pull. But boy, as he goes into the temple, he's got his work cut out for him. Because in Luke 19, 45 and 46, it says he entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare... My temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He turns over these tables. Because what was happening there, to understand the economic system within the temple, on a high holy week like that, Passover weekend, you had to bring a sacrifice. Might be a dove, might be a pigeon, might be a little lamb, whatever it might be, and offer it to them, and they took care of it from there. But what they were allowed to do in the temple was to look and to say, wait a second, your lamb has kind of a gimpy leg. He's limping. You're going to have to trade in. That's not acceptable. And then they charge you 10 times that value. They just pretty much frisked you at the door and soaked you for a lot of money. So Jesus walks into this abuse of, of the worship in the temple, and there's animals everywhere, and they had overtaken this area called the outer court for the Gentiles where they could come and hang out and listen a little bit. And all of a sudden, he turns over these tables. Now, please understand, Jesus had, uh, it says he put together a little bit of, of something that he could shoo the animals away. He doesn't come in. Uh, whipping, all right? He doesn't go crazy on that, but he does turn over the tables. It's said and estimated by most Bible scholars on that weekend, this was called Caiaphas, the high priest, Caiaphas's bazaar. And he lost a million dollars because of what Jesus did on that day by turning over those tables. Million dollar loss. No wonder they wanted to kill him. They didn't want him anywhere around. And yet Jesus knew he had to pull the weeds from the hearts of those involved in the way money was transacted and the way worship was offered. And he knew he had to get that out of their hearts if they're going to be able to in some time get over money. That was the whole uh, entitlement was the controlling of money. And if that is a thing in your heart that you want to give everything up except that, You'll find that that's a weed that's pretty tough to tug out until we can just say, God, everything that I have comes from you, and I'm, an, I'm a manager, not an owner. I want to be a good steward of that. But money definitely got in the way for them. Now, a third weed patch. A third weed patch is what I'd call the weeds of the religious people. In other words, the people just like us. We showed up for church. We're here. Hey, let's hear what God has to say and let's celebrate him, see one another, encourage them. And hey, it's been a good day so far. Then we'll take off, grab a little something to eat, got the rest of our day. They were the religious people, the average people right out there. <clears throat> and it says in verses 47 and 48 that after that he taught daily in the temple. This is all during that week leading up to Passover, Easter, crucifixion, resurrection. But the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him, but they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word that he said. Every word that Jesus said, they wanted to hear. Now, uh, 
I grew up farming a little bit. You had to wear some gloves if you're going to mess with uh, baling wire and stuff like that. And these are the kind of gloves that my dad had and that uh, I, I had. Uh, they're cow leather. Uh, and so they're going to stretch with you just a little bit. They're going to keep you from getting blisters. But if you have ever heard of the phrase, when you have to deal with somebody that's a little temperamental, a little, uh, uh, you never know what's going to happen, you, you might have heard it said, you have to deal with them with kid gloves. That's right. A kid would be a young goat, and that's very soft skin. These, these aren't that. But that's what it means. I want you to know at this point, Jesus pulling weeds puts on the gloves. And he moves into the hearts of the people who would listen to what he has to say. And he, he began to teach them, and he continued that whole week after the triumphal entry, before the cross. And he, he has a moment where he just puts the gloves on, and he gently teaches them what they need to know. Somebody said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you need to know it's to love the Lord your God all your heart. He moved on to something else, a parable. He told him a parable, and he tried to make it nice and gentle. He said there was a father with two sons. Now, not to be confused with the prodigal son parable. This is another one. And the father had two sons, and he said he asked them both to go out and work, and one said, uh, sure, but he never showed up. The other one said, no, I don't want to. Dad, he felt guilty and went ahead and worked. And Jesus is saying, be, be that guy. And he was pointing out to the Pharisees, they're the ones who say they're all that, but they're not. But he did it with gloves. He did it gently to help them understand. There's a fellow who had a question about marriage and, and the resurrection, and he had a, a because they had a law that said if a, uh, if, if a, a husband dies, uh, uh, then or pardon me, wife dies, then they'd have to, husband dies, they'd have to marry, the brother would have to marry the wife, and then just continue on. So he says, what happens if one guy has a hypothetical? He says, what if you got seven brothers, you know? Boom, 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 boom. Uh, at the resurrection, and she's married every one of them because he's the brother, whose wife is she on that day? And Jesus says, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> You're asking that kind of question, you know, uh, uh, obscure questions of marriage and the resurrection for a thousand, Alex. No, no, that's not the question you want to ask. But yet with kid gloves, he does this. He said, now listen, uh, it's not going to be the same way up there it is here. There won't be giving and receiving in marriage. And I love what Eugene Peterson says in his translation, The Message. He says, because all of our ecstasies and intimacies will be with God. He, he, he took time to explain that. And I want you to know, if you're in a small group, or if you've got a Christian friend who takes some time and says, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee and study the Bible or talk about this, or you've got a question, can you help me figure this out? I, I want you to know it's time to put on the gloves. Jesus put on the gloves. And he made sure that for the religious people, he, he unpacked the truth about God. Now, the reason is because they had been mistaken all of their life about the truth of God. They hadn't heard hardly a thing about him. They didn't understand what, what the heart of God was really all about. They'd heard all this, this and that, and then, by the way, God says this, but we're going to add this to that. And what happened was the religious people had missed out because the, the religious leaders had, had a sense of entitlement about controlling the truth. We're going to let you know what you need to know. We're not going to tell you. The rabbis did the same thing. Rabbis did the same thing all the time. Well, here's what you need to know. Nah, don't worry about what it says over here. I'll tell you what it means. 
And the same thing can happen in the life of the church. And it doesn't matter what kind of church you've been in or what kind of church you grew up in or I grew up in. There's a little bit of that of just kind of listen to me and just hang on and I'll let you know what you need to know. Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether it's Catholic or Protestant. I, I grew up with a, a good buddy, Augie Rezincheck. Augie, that's a real name, a real name. All right, played ball with Augie. He grew up Catholic. I grew up in a little small Protestant church. And uh, we would compare notes once in a while. And I, I would say, I don't get it. Why can't you have a hot dog at a ball game on Friday? Doesn't matter to me. And he would explain to me a little more the Catholic teaching of, of honoring that, you know, on, on that day. Oh, well, I have never heard that. Hey, how come you got to tell people what you've been doing wrong? We don't have to do that at all. Yeah. 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 We just kind of grin and show up, you know. And, and Augie, how come you know all those, those prayers? We just kind of got one that we hear, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All the others are just kind of started up, make it up, and end fast. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're off, you know. And, uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that was honestly, as a kid, that was a question. And I began to understand he knew a lot more about prayers. And I would hear, well, why do you say that? Well, it's a cry for mercy. Oh, you know, come to think of it, I probably ought to realize how dependent I am on God's mercy. All of a sudden, I'd tell him a Bible story. He said, where'd you hear that? <laughs> I said, church. He said, we don't hear too many of those. He said, we hear the Gospels and a lot of New Testament stuff, but I've never heard that before. I said, well, they tell us those scary stories keep us coming back next week. <laughs> That's what happens, you know. And I began to realize, you know, that we all have a lot to learn about God and the heart of God, but the, the Jewish leaders kept the religious people who were hungry. That's why we're the, they were hanging on every word that Jesus said, because so many of them, they'd never heard. They'd never thought of before, because the truth had been kept from them, because the religious people felt entitled. And we should never feel entitled to keep the truth to ourself. Now, this fourth out of five weed patches, the fourth one gets pretty harsh. And it's what I would call the weed patch of the religious leaders. And those guys in the black robes that had all these lists of scriptures that they had memorized on their, on their cloak or robe and had all the high headgear, and they uh, always got the really good seats. Jesus finally, Matthew 23, has it up to here with them because of all the damage they had done. And he goes in for some major weed pulling. But when you're really gonna do some major weed pulling, you gotta take the gloves off. And he just took them off. You see, when you take the gloves off, you're not trying to protect yourself. You're risking a lot more, and he risked a lot more. Listen to what he did when he took the gloves off with these so-called religious leaders. He has what's called seven woes in Matthew 23. I'll go through them pretty quickly. The first one's the woe of spiritual pretense. He says, everything you do is just for a show. Now, he begins every one of these seven attacks, and they are serious punches. 
I mean, they're not sucker punches, you know, around the corner that you don't see it coming. These are straight on landing it in the Pharisee's jaw, symbolically. Woe of spiritual pretense. He says, you're hypocrites. Every one of you are pretending. You're hypocrites. Everything you do is for a show. Then he says, there's this woe of heaven prevention. He said, you shut the door to the kingdom of God. You don't let anybody else in unless they're just like you. And even then, you make them walk the line over things that I've never said, God's never said, that you need to do. You create a lot of hoops for people to jump through to find their way into heaven. The third woe is, he said, there's a woe of corrupting discipling. In other words, he says, you're making those who follow you worse than you are. You take these swearing technicalities. They would say, well, you can say God's name like this, but you can't say it like that or you're in trouble. So let's say it like this and then say it however we want and not get caught in it. He says, you teach them to be so legalistic and, and, and missing the mark and the heart of God. He said, you major in the minors. They, they would say, we're going to tithe our little herb garden, a little rosemary and, and thyme and whatever might be the spices out there. Oh, we make sure down to the one-tenth of that, and we offer it at the temple. He said, and then you turn a blind eye to justice. You neglect abuse that's all around you. You're majoring in the minors. You're full of internal greed and self-indulgence. And he says, woe to you. You better wash the inside of the cup, your heart, first. He says, woe to you because of your image management. You're like whitewashed tombs. Everybody back then knew what the smell of death was like. You leave a grave open, you leave a tomb open. Oh, boy. And it would just knock you over from that. They knew exactly what that was like, and he says, you're like a tomb that's open, but you just put whitewash on the outside. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And these are the religious leaders, and the gloves are off. He winds it down by saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because of your spiritual comparison. They would go around and say, well, our forefathers were pretty bad. They, they might have uh, killed a couple of prophets here or there, but not us. And in the same breath, they're plotting to kill him. He called them out. Hard weeds to pull. If you had to put it in a phrase, I'd probably say their entitlement was controlling the path to heaven. They wanted to make sure you can't get in unless I say so. And that just broke the heart of Jesus, but it lit the fire in him. And he said, I cannot stand to listen to this one more time without correcting that in front of everybody. It was the time to go public with that confrontation. And I thought about that this week because in our heart here at Northside for uh, longer than I've been here, which has been about 20 years. Even before that, the heart of this congregation has been to, to allow people to hear the message of Jesus. And, and if you ever wonder why we do free coffee out in the lobby, okay, a couple of hidden motives. All right. The day Northside told the truth, all right? Uh, num number one, we want you to be comfortable. We really do. People listen more when they're comfortable. And if you kind of want to hide behind something like that, that's fine. I'm more comfortable doing that. And the second thing is caffeine's involved, and we want you to stay awake for most of it. But that's, that's, 
That's a whole other thing on me, all right? But, but the whole thing, honestly, is about to take down roadblocks that might make people feel uncomfortable. See, when they put in all the animals in the temple, they, they took up the, what was called the outer court I mentioned a little while ago. That's where the Gentiles would come. Oh, they, Gentiles couldn't come on in. They're not Jewish. They're not uh, God's people. But they can kind of listen because one day God's going to let them in. And he said, you make sure you build it where they can hear what's going on because one of these days, one of these days, they're going to be able to get in. And the Jewish people lined it up with everything else. They made it hard to get into heaven. And they pushed people away. We've said here at Northside forever. We want this to be a safe place to hear a dangerous message. It's not original with me, but we want it to be a safe place where you will never worry about bringing a family member or a friend, and we'll try to put on the gloves and unpack it as gently as we can and make that make sense and let God's voice and his truth be heard. Now, the final patch, the final weed patch, is the weeds of what I'd call the not-so-religious close friends, okay? his disciples. They'd move beyond religiosity, if you will. They'd move beyond uh, all the traditional things, and Jesus had helped them get past that. But there were several weeds within their heart that they couldn't get past, and most of them had to do with their relationship with each other. So in John 13, uh, before I read this passage, what happens? He begins, and, and you may have heard that story before, where, where Jesus, and we're getting real close to the end here in that last week, and, and he takes him aside, and and uh, they all sit down in this room, and nobody does anything. They're just there. They're just kind of plop, probably have their arms folded. And Jesus takes a towel and a basin of water, and he begins one by one with each disciple, and he takes off his outer robe, kneels down, and he begins to wash the feet. Now, that's something that a servant would normally do. A servant would have come in, hey, can I get you something to drink? Here's some uh, uh, water from the well, pretty cool. Uh, a little oil for your head, dust you off a little bit, smell a little bit better, and let me wash your feet because you've been traveling a long time. That was the role of the servant. But none of those guys were going to do that for him or for each other because they felt a little bit too much about themselves. So Jesus does that. If you know the story, he, he comes to, to Peter, and Peter says, I'm not going to let you do that to me. Not me. Uh-uh. And Jesus simply says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you will have no part of me. It's personal, Peter. And he said, well, if that's the case, wash my feet, wash my head, cleanse me all the way, God. And it's that was a moment for Peter to realize Jesus meant business. Now, after he's washed their feet, it says in verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. He said, this is an example. He said, I, I want you to understand how to wash the feet of one another. 
how to nurture, how to care, how to speak the truth in love, how to catch a few tears on your shoulder, how to, how to say some things a little more direct with the gloves on so they can hear it, how to pull a couple of weeds in each other's heart in the life of a small group, in the life of fellowship, and encourage, how to serve, how to encourage one another and serve, all those things. He said, you've got to be connected somehow here. Now, I know the thought of washing feet. It just sounds a little, you know, just, just a little odd. Matter of fact, how many would say that today you, you have a, a feet that it might be a challenge, might be a challenge to wash, okay? A few of you. I, I have feet that any time here the weather's breaking, I'll ask my wife, Sue Lynn, hey, uh, where's my sandals? <laughs> she says, I threw them away. You know, you don't, want it, you, don't want it. you don't want anybody in public to take a look at those, all right? Got it. So I don't know what kind of feet these guys had, but it did not matter to Jesus. I don't know what kind of life we have. But it doesn't matter to him either. He wants to pull the weeds, wash the feet, cleanse our heart, and for us to follow by caring for each other after that. You see, I think their entitlement that they wrestled with was controlling all the personal attention. And all of us can be subject to that sometimes if we think that's not enough about me. You know, we kind of lose our identity. We kind of lose our purpose. We kind of lose our, our rank amongst one another. Somebody blanks us and we think, hey, wait a second, you know, what was that about? We have to be able to have that relationship where we're nurturing one another. Now, the interesting thing that Jesus said was he said, you know what? This isn't just one and done. This isn't just I washed your feet and I'm going to hang my towel up and you know, do that once in a while. No, he, he kind of, he took this towel and he said, I want all of you. I want you to have your own towel. I, I want you to understand that this is the pathway that will keep your heart weed free. If we'll let him do that. Right now is our time of communion in our service as we wind down. And our, our servers are going to get ready for that. I, I want to ask you just a few little simple questions, though. Because this Thunder weekend, this weekend before uh, Easter, Palm Sunday weekend, all the stuff that's going on in your life and mine, we have to ask ourselves, are we waving palms Celebrating Jesus, or are we ignoring the parade? And I would say we we're pretty safe. You're here. <laughs> you're here on this weekend, so I got a feeling you're waving palms and you're a part of the celebration. You're not ignoring or resenting any attention that's drawn to Jesus. But it might be that question number two is what we need to look at. Are we bringing our broken lives to God? That's what the, the people did. And all of a sudden they were told, no, you're not good enough. And I want you to know none of us are good enough. But we're to come to him just as we are. Maybe the question is, are you hanging on every word of Jesus? Are you, are you listening and, and waiting to see what he wants you to do next and, and making that adjustment to be more obedient and to forsake some things that have a hold on us that he's trying to pull away from us, but we won't let go? Are we pretending to be better than we are? I kind of grew up like that. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I was pretty much taught, if, if you're not going to act right, you, 
you better act like you're not that bad, okay? My dad had one phrase to me every time we'd go public anywhere. It was, all right, all right act like you got some sense. <laughs> Anybody ever told that? So, I've been acting ever since, you know, but uh, <laughs> not sure I really got a lot of sense on that. But, but sometimes, spiritually speaking, we can try to have a little more of an image, and that's where I don't, I don't want to ever lead you to believe I'm better than anybody. The only person I'm better than is who I would have become if I wouldn't have accepted Jesus. That's it. Or maybe the last question. Are we washing each other's feet? Are you taking the time to be sensitive to those that are around you? The us factor. Jesus drew his friends into to this us factor in a really close way. And right now, as we take a moment after we pray, we'll have a piece of bread that represents his body and a little cup of juice that represents his blood that he was willing to shed. And it's powerful imagery, particularly to the Jewish people. They understood because now this, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, it, it replaced this Passover when they were taken out of Egypt after 400 years of bitter slavery. And now God's going to deliver them in the Exodus and get them out of there. They had to have blood on the doorpost. If they didn't, death would come to the firstborn. And the beauty of the blood on the cross, every Jewish person would have figured it out if they would have let Jesus take the weeds out of their heart. For some, it took a while. If there's a couple of weeds left, I invite you to open your heart to him right now as we remember what he did for us. Let's bow. God, thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for allowing your son to leave heaven, take on the form of humanity, be tempted in every way, and yet live a perfect, pure, and holy, blameless life. Thank you that he loved us so much that he did that and he offered that life. He laid down that life just for us. May we examine our heart now. May we invite you in that process. And may we declare that you are our Savior, our only hope. Thank you for such a great love. We ask it in Jesus' name.